This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. I want to remind you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access a lot of extra content and learn more about us and the American Modeling Teachers Association, the professional organization that we promote. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. For this episode, I'm talking with Marta Stokel-Rogers. Marta has been teaching science at Tartan High School, located just outside of St. Paul, Minnesota, since 2009. She teaches mostly physics and AP Physics 1, with occasional sections of other courses, including basic chemistry and ninth grade physical and earth science. She's also currently a PhD candidate in the University of Minnesota's STEM education program. Marta is a 2017 and 2019 state finalist for the Presidential Award for Excellence in Mathematics and Science Teaching. And she's published articles in professional journals, including The Physics Teacher and The Science Teacher. Here's my interview with Marta. Hi, Marta. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. A little warm in California today, but it's okay. <laughs> Warm here in Minnesota, too. Yeah. So um, tell us, just for our listeners who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, and then we'll dig into some cool discussion about modeling. So I teach high school just outside of St. Paul, Minnesota. I mostly teach physics, but I get some chemistry and some earth science here and there. Uh, I've been teaching at my school since 2009. I'm also a PhD candidate in STEM education at the University of Minnesota, mm. where I'm doing research on gender equity in physics classrooms and how that, uh, especially how students coming to see themselves as physics people through classroom experiences fits in with that. When did you discover modeling? When did it come into your life? So um, I think it was around 2014 or 2015, I had been teaching ninth grade science and I was getting ready to switch to teaching our 12th grade physics course in the fall. And since I was going to have all the sections, I had this really cool opportunity to put a lot of thought into what direction did I want that course to go? What did I really want it to look like? I mean, as long as I was going to have to learn a new curriculum anyway, why not take this opportunity to really reimagine it? Um, I started doing some digging into, or the course is really designed for students who are planning to go on to college. Uh, at that point, it was especially targeting students who were planning to major in some kind of STEM field. Mm. So I started digging into what kind of physics course is good preparation for college physics courses. And modeling is one of the things that uh, kept coming up. Mm. So I went ahead and I joined AMTA to get access to the materials. Um, I started using them that first year without having been to a workshop, uh, though I was pretty consistent. I'd been able to join a video chat with some people who were pretty experienced at modeling and did a lot to keep me going through that year. Uh, after that first year, I was able to attend a workshop here in Minnesota, which did a lot to get me better at leading the student discussions. Um, and I was able to just keep going further and further with modeling. I'm curious about what kind of difference, how you feel the workshop experience really helped you latch on to the modeling concept in your classroom. 
The first year I was doing the modeling materials, I really struggled to lead good discussions. Partly, I hadn't seen examples of what does a good board meeting look like? Mm. What does a good uh, student-led discussion about problems look like? Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to visualize it from the teacher materials and from conversations with friends of mine, um, from blog posts. Um, but one of the things the workshop really did is I got to experience some of those types of discussions and dig into the nitty gritty of like uh, Scott Hovan, my workshop leader, would do some pointing out particular moments in a discussion. And why did he ask that question right in that moment? which mm. is something that's really hard to replicate in any kind of written text, which was the sort of stuff I was relying on. And so having that experience of seeing someone who knows a lot about facilitating those discussions, doing it and breaking down his teacher moves, then gave me a much better toolkit and a much better idea of what I was shooting for when mm. I came back in the fall. Yeah. What would you say, you've been using modeling now since, what year did you say it was? It was, I think, 2014, 14, maybe 2015. Yeah. So seven years or so you've been mm -hmm. using modeling in the classroom. What would be your number one tip that you would give to new modelers or experienced modelers? What's your one or two great tips that you've learned over the years? I think one of the biggest things for me was to not get discouraged when lessons went a little bit rocky, especially that first year. Hmm. Um, one of the things I've learned helping some other teachers start to use modeling in their physics classrooms and doing some teacher leader work in my district is especially when you've had a chance to get decent at that really traditional instruction. When you can lead a good lecture or give your kids a really solid cookbook lab, hmm. when you shift to something like modeling instruction, it feels really different and it's a very natural part of the learning process to have some moments that don't go how you want them to. And I think when you're used to feeling pretty competent and pretty skilled in the classroom, when you have those moments, it can be really disheartening. And so finding ways to work through those moments and to use them for your own learning. And one of the things that took me a while to see is that even though I did not, I felt like a worse teacher the first year I was doing modeling instruction um, overall, huh. because just my lessons were very clumsy. But my students still learned a lot more physics than they had in previous years. Hmm. Um, and so really trying to find that evidence that okay, I don't feel great every day, but my kids are clearly learning this stuff, and I'm learning how to get better at the teaching I'm trying to do, so that then the next year I could come back and it felt even better. Wow, that's really cool. I saw an article called Musings on Instructional Shifts that you Ooh. had shared. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that, because I'm sure that modeling was a part of a shift for you in, in your approach in the classroom. Talk to me about your musings on instructional shifts. Yeah, so what prompted that? Um, this year I ended up getting an opportunity in my district. Uh, my title is, I think, Science Standards, or Secondary Science Standards Implementation TOSA, which is a mouthful. 
<laughs> but the short version is I'm leading some work for the 612 science teachers to transition to some state standards based on the next generation science standards. Mm. And one of the things I've really been charged with is to figure out how do I take teachers who've gotten really comfortable with a very traditional approach, with verification labs, with lots of lecture, where they rely on telling students a lot of things. How do I help those teachers move to um, instruction where students are doing more figuring things out for themselves? Uh, and I actually just wrapped up a few days of curriculum writing with our sixth grade science teachers who are launching some new curriculum in the fall. So we're going to be going all in on trying to teach differently. Mm. Um, and so I've been doing a lot of reflecting on my own experience shifting as well as watching teachers. One of the big things I took away, um, I think a lot of modelers, we kind of fall into, oh, textbooks, they're for propping up ramps. We don't need those. Uh, and so I was kind of dismissive of the idea of adopting a core instructional resource at first. But when I look back at my own shift, having the modeling curriculum uh, available to me as a core instructional resource was something that really helped me start thinking differently about what my teaching could look like. Um, and then with the sixth grade teachers I'm working with, watching how the conversation has shifted once they settled on a core resource to pilot. Um, they ended up not going with the middle school modeling instruction, but they went with something that I think has some really similar underlying philosophy and seeing how they can focus a lot on um, seeing how the phenomena are carried through the unit uh, and being able to use this as a tool to better understand how to teach in this way um, has been really eye-opening for me. Mm. Um, and then another thing I've been able to bring from my experience with modeling, uh, I had to do a lot of learning. How do I help students develop the skills to have conversations, to make good whiteboards, to communicate their thinking, to design an experiment? All those things that aren't strictly the physics content, but that they need to know how to do to get at the physics content in a modeling classroom. So I've done a lot of learning about how do you scaffold that for students? How do you help them work effectively in groups? And so I've been able to do a lot of PD for, my, for the teachers in my district where I share some of that learning to help them see, all right, my kids can't do this really, really cool stuff right now, but here's things that I can do to get them to the point where that really cool stuff you know, we see in classroom videos and the like is very doable for my students. I know that you're uh, very interested in um, educational equity. Mm -hmm. And um, you've been studying how classroom experiences influence a student's science identity, especially as it relates to underrepresented students. Can you talk to me about what you're finding in your uh, explorations there? And and because uh, I'm very interested, and I think a lot of people are interested in equity in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I've done as part of my own research is I interviewed um, a group of students at the end of the school year and asked some questions about self-efficacy and physics identity to try to get at what were some of those things that helped shape their beliefs. Um, labs came up with almost every single student as something really important. What was really interesting to me 
is I had a lot of students who talked about the guided inquiry labs and the paradigm labs that are an important part of modeling as something that really helped them feel like a science person. Hmm. And when they were able to see how the data they took led to that physics knowledge, they felt a really strong sense of ownership over their learning and really started to feel good at physics, which was super cool and super exciting. Hmm. What was kind of fascinating to me is I also had students who talked about some of the frustrations and mistakes and all those things that happen very naturally when kids are doing guided inquiry. Um, that led some kids to think they weren't as good at physics. Hmm. And I even had some students who talked about both views in the same interview. So they talked about labs as really making them feel good at physics and really making them feel bad at physics. Hmm. So one of the things I'm thinking about is um, how can I do a better job of normalizing some of those frustrations and, you know, occasionally having bad data, things like that. Um, those things that seem to hurt self-efficacy during labs. How can I do a better job of normalizing that to minimize that negative impact while still maintaining that positive impact of kids figuring things out for themselves? Hmm. Um, one of the places I saw gender differences in those interviews was students' perceptions of whether I thought they were good at physics. The boys really consistently, when asked if I thought they were good at physics, talked about um, assessments where they had high scores. And they said, well, you graded it, you gave me a high score, you must think I'm good at physics. Uh, girls tended to talk about assessments where they had relatively low scores as evidence that I believe they're good at physics. Hmm. And they talked about the feedback and then having uh, retake opportunities in my class as a way that um, they saw I must believe they can improve so that even though they didn't do well today, they saw all this evidence that I believed, all right, you can still get there and you can still do this hard stuff which that to me was really powerful. And so how do I get more students to take those growth mindset messages from feedback on quizzes? Because I'd love for every kid to get a quiz with a low score and think, oh man, my teacher thinks I'm great at physics. <laughs> <laughs> now, what you were just talking about, is this related? You did an article called Gender Self-Assessment in Classroom mm -hmm. Experiences in AP Physics. And is yes. it, this is related to that work? Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that tied to your PhD pursuit? It is. Yeah, I did. Um, I've done this research as part of my PhD work. And mm -hmm. then um, three paper dissertations are really common in my department, where mm -hmm. instead of doing one big study, you do three smaller related studies. And mm -hmm. so my advisor and I are thinking that this might be a good paper number one in a three paper dissertation. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping to, for the next piece, get some video of students working in small groups because um, the interviews also raise some questions about uh, gender dynamics in those small group interactions. So I'm hoping to do some more in-depth analysis of uh, what's going on there. We'll get back to my interview in just a minute. But first, I want to let you know you can stay connected with other modelers all year round by joining the new AMTA Discord server. What is Discord? It's a text, voice, and video chat app where modelers can share resources, ask questions, and interact in real time. 
To request your invitation, send the AMTA a message on Twitter or Facebook. Or you can find their Discord invitation video by subscribing to the American Modeling Teachers Association YouTube channel. Talk to us about what else you've learned in your studies here. Yeah, so with the small group stuff, um, in the interviews, when students, when I asked students if they thought their classmates believed they're good at physics, a bunch of the boys talked about, well, my classmates ask for my ideas, they ask me questions, they give me positive feedback when I share what I'm thinking, and so clearly they believe I'm good at physics. And so they were getting all of these messages from their peers, that their peers had a lot of faith in their abilities. The girls that I interviewed, um, only one of them talked about those kinds of experiences. And what was really interesting is she uh, didn't cite them as evidence that she was good at physics and her peers were seeing that. She talked about them as evidence that she was essentially fooling her classmates. <laughs> um, she talked about, you know, I'm generally a good student, but I'm not that good at physics. And so they're just taking that general good student and assuming I'm good at physics. <laughs> and so one of the things I'm really curious about is are boys getting more of that feedback from peers uh, or are boys and girls uh, perceiving that feedback differently. Mm. And so boys are putting more weight on it or um, interpreting it as more true. Whereas if girls are tending to take that belief that they're somehow fooling their classmates, um, then they might be less likely to talk about it. So I think what I need to do is actually observe some groups and see what's going on there. How do you plan with your strategies for getting that group work data put together? What are you thinking? Uh, so probably what or what the plan had been for spring of 2020 was for another grad student from my program to come in with some cameras and some audio recorders. Um, I was gonna I'd plan the I was gonna plan the groups out ahead of time to have some groups that were all one gender and then some groups that were mixed gender, mm. and then we just plop a camera and an audio recorder down at each of the tables that I wanted to really focus on. Um, and then do some discourse analysis, which means you get a transcript of the audio. Sometimes you add details about things that kids were doing. Um, mm. And then decide what we really wanted to focus on and do some kind of coding to try to figure out what were the key moments. Um, that was planned for, uh, I think, April of 2020 was when we were going to do that. So that fell apart. Uh, yeah. And then this year has just been so strange that we decided, you know what, let's try for next year. <laughs> yeah. So you're still planning to, to pursue that, mm-hmm. to do that. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. How are things going uh, with your school work, your high school at uh, Tartan? So I ended up taking a leave of absence this year. Um, I have some health issues that make too many hours in front of the computer tough to manage. Uh-huh. So teaching remotely was going to take a pretty big toll on me. Um, and I was fortunate to get some pretty flexible part-time opportunities. So uh, I did the teacher leadership work with my district. Um, I kept taking courses for my grad program. And then I've been doing some content writing for Pivot Interactives. But then I'm all set to go back in the fall and I'm really excited to be back with kids. 
Yeah. yeah. Most teachers I've talked to feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Pivot at Interactives, you've been doing some work with them, for them, or mm-hmm. to contribute to their library. Is that yes. correct? Yep. Tell me about that yep. experience for you and about what you think about. I know Pivot Interactives came up on the radar, what, a year or so ago that I heard about it, and it mm-hmm. uh, seems pretty exciting. Yeah, um, I've been using it in some of my classes for a couple of years now. Um, this summer, er, and I had piloted some chemistry activities. We have our a very, very highly tracked chem program. We have four different levels of chem. And I piloted some of Pivot's chemistry stuff with our most basic chemistry track. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the summer and last spring, uh, Peter, who's one of the founders of Pivot Interactives, realized that one of their big gaps is most of the activities in the main library are really written for an AP level, are very open-ended, um, and a lot of teachers needed things that were more structured to be able to support students asynchronously or support students who needed a little more coaching through the math. And so he reached out to me in August and said, hey, we'd love to hire you to write activities that fill this niche using existing videos. Hmm. Um, And so that was kind of the first project I took on. Um, They're currently labeled as scaffolded in the library, um, trying to figure out how do I still get kids doing some of that scientific thinking, but um, put some tools in place to give them some feedback along the way with multiple choice or help narrow their focus a little bit so it's not so open-ended. For me and for those who may be listening who aren't familiar with Pivot or might be interested in learning more, uh, how do they find out more about Pivot Interactives? So the website is pivotinteractives.com. Okay, that's simple. (laughs) And then kind of our bread and butter is what we call interactive video, where we have a studio team that records really high-quality videos of uh, all kinds of different experiments. And then we set it up in a way where students can collect data directly from that video. Mm, Interactively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Pivotinteractives.com. You used a term in, I read a bunch of stuff about you, and uh, you used a term about to, you like to front load vocabulary. Or actually, I don't like to front load vocabulary. Okay, that's it. The context was comparing front loading versus, okay, explain that to me. So in my teacher prep courses, especially in the ones on reading strategies, one of the big things that was really pushed is you should front load vocabulary. And so if you think about a lot of textbook readings, we're at the front of a section, they have those bolded vocab words and definitions for those words. I was taught that that is best practice. You give those kids all those words right away. But the problem is you are... Uh, giving kids, like some t- if you give the kids all that vocab at the start of a unit, you're giving kids maybe like half a dozen of these really technical words that have really specific meanings. We want to be really careful about how we use them. And it's really overwhelming for kids. Um, around the time I was getting into modeling, I did some other professional development with, actually with the person who's now my uh, doctoral advisor, Um, where I was introduced to this idea of activity before concept and then concept before vocabulary. Uh, 
So you skip that front loading. You dive straight into doing some kind of hands-on activity. So like with the modeling stuff, um, instead of introducing the word velocity at the start of the unit, you have kids go start playing with those tumble buggies. Um, as kids work through the activity, they start to build up this concept. So they get the concept of, oh, the buggies travel the same distance for every second. And as they talk about that, you get to the point where there's kind of a need. Well, wouldn't it be nice if we just had a word for this? And then as the teacher, you whip out the word, how about we call it velocity? Um, and, you know, and I think that general approach is something that is probably pretty familiar to a lot of people who do modeling instruction, um, no matter what phrasing they use to describe it. But my experience has been, especially with EL kids and especially with kids who have learning differences, especially around reading, mm -hmm. um, that's been really beneficial. Because by the time that we get to that technical word, they have something in their head to attach it to instead of trying to cram in all of these complicated words before they really have any meaning. Right. So do it before you define it? Yes. So like the, essentially the kids, you know, they, they do a lab, they start talking about a thing and they essentially work out a definition before they have a term for it. Yeah. I know that you do uh, some instructional leadership with other teachers in your district mm -hmm. or in your state. I'm not. What's, what's your experience um, been along those lines? So mostly it's been in my district, though I've had a few opportunities to go elsewhere. Um, so the PD that I met my advisor through was working on STEM integration curriculum. And so after going through that professional development as a participant and writing some curriculum, I had some opportunities to get some training on instructional coaching and leading PD and work with some teams of teachers who were going to be implementing mm. uh, curriculum to help them with the content knowledge and with the STEM integration instructional strategies. Um, and so that was kind of, that was really fun. One of the groups I worked with was a group of fourth grade teachers. Mm. And they were getting ready to teach a unit on lever arms. At the same time, I was doing a lot of relearning rotation to teach AP Physics 1 for the first time. Mm. And so to be able to have those conversations where let's really dig into what does a fourth grader need to know about levers. At the same time as I'm thinking about what does an AP 1 kid need to know about torque. Um, and then to be able to kind of see how does that concept build across grade levels was so much fun. <laughs> Plus, it was a neat experience to be able to visit some of the classrooms to do some of the coaching pieces um, and just see an elementary classroom in action, yeah. uh, which is not surprisingly a very different perspective than high school. Yeah. What grades are you teaching at the high school? Uh, 11th and 12th grade primarily. Okay, so your chemistry or your, I mean, your primarily physics mm -hmm. is in what, 11th grade or? Uh, physics is 12th grade. Okay. Um, though we just made some changes to our grad requirements that we think might get some 11th graders starting to take physics. Yeah. I know that you, I, I think it's more recently, have joined the AMTA team. Is that? Yes. On staff? I was elected to the board last year. 
Ah. And so I'm coming up on my one year anniversary as member at large. And you've also been involved with the communications team, is, is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so one of the things the board started thinking about last summer, uh, actually even before I joined the board, was um, the listserv had been a really great tool for a long time, but there were some uh, limitations there, there's limitations to an email listserv, and there were a lot of new tools out there that could provide some new capabilities for building a modeling community. And so um, Teresa Marks, the, the board president at the time, asked me to be on the communications committee. So I got to work with Teresa and then Holly McTurnan and Kelly Warble, um, and then Wendy Heeneman, who works for AMTA. Um, mm -hmm. We did some trying to figure out, well, what would we want out of a communications platform? Um, and we eventually decided that Discord seemed like a platform that would do a nice job of uh, promoting more interaction is really what we were hoping. Now, I'm not really familiar with Discord other than I've heard it announced through the AMTA that there's it, you guys are trying to build a uh, community of AMTA members there. Why did you choose it over some other platforms, uh, social media platforms? I mean, help me understand, A, what Discord is yeah. and how it ties into the AMTA community. So Discord was originally designed for uh, gaming. Um, so people, so it has voice chat and text chat capabilities. Oh. And so like, a lot of people use it to, uh, when you're playing a video game online with people somewhere else in the country, you can use something like Discord to talk to them while you're playing. Oh. We were really intrigued by the text chat capabilities on Discord. Um, you can do a lot of replying directly to people, uh, which we thought would make it easier to have structured threads. Um, there's a lot of ability to attach files. So, for example, if somebody has a really cool project that they came up with, uh, or there have been some conversations about standards-based grading, where people are able to uh, share their list of standards uh, over the Discord server. Um, but then having that ability for multiple different kinds of chatting, uh, we're hoping is going to be useful. Uh, so like right now, most of the conversation has been typed out by text, uh, but it does have that voice chat capability. And so I think uh, Carly Dello, who is mm. who ended up getting hired recently as our marketing specialist, I believe she's hosted some happy hours on the uh, voice channel so people can actually pop in there and talk to each other. Yeah, live conversations. Mm -hmm. With multiple people, multiple voices, or one-on-one, -on -one or uh, you can do any of the above. Oh. Uh, however many people join the voice chat channel, that's however many people the conversations between. And then we set up the text so that there's different text channels organized by topic. So, for example, as a physics person, um, I can join all the physics channels, and so there's a spot where I can go to talk about AP physics. There's a spot for people to go talk about physics first, um, and then about physics in general. We also have channels for things like uh, equity. Um, we have channel for assessment. Uh, 
so that people can go to those places and find what conversations have been on Discord so far on that current on that particular topic, mm. um, as well as start new ones. Okay, you you triggered something. You mentioned physics first as a topic. How do you feel about mm-hmm. phys- you teach physics in twelfth grade? Physics mm-hmm. first promotes it as a ninth grade um, course. How, what are your thoughts on that? I'm curious. I hope I'm not opening. So I've up taught. A <laughs> 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 I've taught some ninth grade science. Um, we my district does or currently does two trimesters of earth science and then one trimester where. We pretend to cover all of physics in 12 weeks, and I've taught that one <laughs> trimester physics course. Oh, my. Um, when we've had conversations about physics first, the main pushback I hear is the math. Um, you know, kids can't, ninth graders can't solve quadratic equations, so they can't do physics. Right. But there's a lot of really interesting physics you can do without quadratic equations. Um, I think really focusing on graphical solutions can make a lot of kinematics really, really accessible to ninth graders, even without that more involved math. Um, And so you have to do some really thinking about and really planning for what does a physics course for ninth graders look like but I think it's doable. Mm. And then I'm really intrigued by that storyline you can start to build across different grade levels. If they have that foundation in physics, well, when they get to chemistry, they can bring all kinds of ideas about energy. They can start applying ideas about forces to bonds between molecules. Um, And so I think that could be really valuable for a chemistry course, which then provides all kinds of foundation for biology. Mm. So I've never taught it, but I think it has a lot of potential. Yeah, that's. I think that's the argument I hear for the physics from the mm-hmm. physics first people is that it helps lay a foundation that the other sciences can build on, and uh, mm-hmm. and always refer back to. So it's good to have it in there. Anyway, I won't go into that and break <laughs> make <laughs> that a thing. So back to Discord. It, Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting name to me for something that's trying to create community because Discord, yeah. <laughs> the term means <laughs> chaos or, you know, conflict. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I always thought that was a funny name. But um, how can people who are interested uh, that are connected to the modeling community get connected to the Discord channels that you guys have set up? So Carly has sent out some emails to members with Mm -hmm. a link to join the Discord server. Ah. And so if people click on that link, it will take them to a page where they can set up an account and join our server. Mm -hmm. Um, Once they're on there, there is a welcome message where they can choose what channels they want to join. So for example, I've got a colleague who doesn't teach any physics. So she could care less what's on the physics channels, but would love to see those chemistry conversations. Hmm. And so she can react to that. So on the welcome message, you can choose some emojis. And which emojis you choose decide which channels that you automatically get assigned to. Hmm. So you can pick all of them. You can pick just one. You can pick none of them. Hmm. Um, And then once you've joined some channels, you can start messaging. Cool. Do you know how many people are connected so far? 
in the modeling community? I think we're up to a few hundred. I oh, haven't cool. checked the total count lately. Yeah. And there's been a lot of good conversation on there, which has been really exciting to see. That's great. I think the more interaction and the more conversation and communication between modelers is, is just really healthy. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the, the more we stimulate this cross-pollination of ideas, the better off we all are. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's so many, like, really contextual challenges that someone might have. Um, You know, you're struggling with something based around your school's schedule or based around uh, some quirk of the courses your kids have taken before. Mm -hmm. And there might be somebody out there who has dealt with something really similar and can help share their strategies or help be a thought partner to figure out how do you address that with your students. Yeah, that's great. So, Marta, what what are your plans for, uh, do you know if you're going back face-to-face, first of all? Do you know yet? Uh, right now, my district is operating on the assumption that we'll be at full capacity, fully face-to-face in the fall, mm-hmm. though my district is launching a fully online high school that kids can opt into. That's something we were working on prior to spring 2020, and this past year just accelerated those plans. What are you going to be doing in the meantime, between now and then? Uh, let's see, I've got a few things to write for my grad program. Um, Pivot has plenty of things they'd like me to work on. Cool. And then hoping to get out for a few camping trips, uh, visit northern Minnesota uh, a time or two yet this summer. And nice. That's great. Well, it, it has really been fun talking with you and uh, very informative. I, I really appreciate your contributions that you're making to the science community in general, especially the modelers. And uh, I wish you the very best of luck. Well, thank you. It was fun chatting with you as well. Thanks for having me. It's been great. You take care. You too. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.